Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Group 5 Deep Dive. I'm your host, Mike Calabrese, and the Ed Oliver to my Mackenzie Milton, of course, referring to Mike Ionello, joining me for this ride. And a special guest here for the AAC Conference Preview. We got Stucky on board, and we got a lot of good teams at the top of this conference to discuss, some teams with New Year's Six Bowl aspirations. So let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Let's start with the Bell of the Ball last year. Cincy punches their ticket as a G5 team to the College Football Playoff. Their win total coming to 2022, nine and a half, plus 200 to win the AAC. SP plus projections on offense, 18th, 19th on defense. So, you know, very balanced there at the top. A lot to like, even though Desmond Ritter is now off to the NFL. They have three returning all-conference offensive linemen, five starters return in total on the O-line. Evan Prater or Ben Ryan at quarterback, Prater being the highest rated recruit in program history. Corey Kiner coming in from LSU to fill in that Jerome Ford void. You know, they had plucked him out of Alabama. He was clearly a difference maker. Kiner can be that kind of runner for the Bearcats this year. Seven new starters on a defense led by Mike Trestle. But then we get into the schedule and things get, you know, interesting. I, I think this number is probably priced at nine and a half when you consider they're at Arkansas. They're at Miami of Ohio who could be, you know, vying for a MAC championship this year. They blew the doors off the Red Hawks last year, but they got to go to Oxford. They also get Indiana at home. And then when you look at their schedule across the AAC at SMU, at Central Florida, but they do avoid Houston. So I'll start with you, Inella. What are your thoughts on Cincy this year? Do you think this number at nine and a half is just too high to play in either direction? I think it's priced pretty fairly. Um, I don't really have any action either way, as you mentioned. I still think they'll be good. They've recruited well. Luke Fickles, you know, the best G5 coach going, one of the best in the entire country. But you mentioned it. There's just too many losses for me to want to invest in this team. They lost seven all-conference defenders, nine players drafted, the most ever from a G5 team. You know, Ben Bryant, 
you know, assuming he does win the job, at least has the advantage of he was in that system for three years backing up Desmond Ritter. So he's not a completely new quarterback, which I do like. You mentioned the O-line, which I love. Um, but to me, there's just too much turnover, especially on defense, for me to really want to invest in this team uh, at that price. All right, Stucky, what are your thoughts on UC here trying to rekindle the magic once again and starting a season against uh, an SEC sleeper in Arkansas, a team that clearly wants to keep their positive momentum going? Cincinnati's not going to sneak up on anybody. What are your thoughts on the Bearcats? Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about, we're going to talk about the top three teams in this conference. Houston since UCF, just to illustrate how close they are in the media poll, which obviously can be a little off from power ratings, but Houston, 243 total votes, Cincy, 242, and then UCF, 225. Houston and UCF got seven first place votes, and Cincy got 10. So they were, Houston actually was the media preseason favorite by one vote. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, since it'll be interesting who becomes the quarterback here. Both were backups to Ritter in the past in different seasons Ben Bryan actually left so that that that's a little a fun little nugget but I don't really think that Ritter's that big of a loss or Ford I'm really and the offensive line should be great I am worried about the receivers but we mentioned the defense and I just don't think that we can really uh, we can really account for how big of a loss their guys in their secondary are I mean they had three get drafted in their first four rounds Kobe Bryant won the Jim Thorpe went in the fourth they had a safety Go in the and go in the second round, and then of course Sauce Gardner in the first round, who you know has been I think the best cornerback in college football the past few seasons. Eleven hundred snaps, he had nine interceptions allowed, zero touchdowns in his career. I mean, what as the boundary corner, what he allowed that defense to do? Oh, and when you have three NFL defensive backs, I, I just don't think that we are uh, anticipating the drop off. In the entire defense, right? Like, hey, we go from NFL corners to, you know, they got Arquan Bush there and a safety back. But then what happens in the front seven? They lost some guys there, too. So I think the defense takes a significant step back. Just when you have a guy who can just say, you know, tell Garner, go take the boundary side of the field. And then no team's even going to throw there the entire game. Makes your defense a lot easier. So I think, look, I think Colin has like a touchdown difference between Houston and Cincy. I don't see it being that big of a gap. I think Houston, UCF, and Cincy are pretty close. And if you look at the schedule, like who plays who where, yes, Cincy does avoid Houston. But as we mentioned, if you say – if we say – let's throw a fourth team in here as a top four with SMU. Cincy has two road games against the top four. Houston only has one road game. They only play one of the top four teams, and that's SMU. And then UCF plays two, but they play both at home. So from a scheduling – point of view from the top three teams. I think since he's at a disadvantage, uh, UCF really tough place to play. Uh, no, I've seen no value. I, I think the win total is about right. I would lean under, but not enough to play it. Um, but I do think the defense is going to take a bigger step back than a lot of people think. I know they're recruiting well, but you just can't underestimate the impact of losing those guys in the secondary to the NFL. I also add in Cincinnati messed around a few times last year and they were in games that they really shouldn't have been in, in late in the third quarter and fourth quarter. And I think a lot of that has to do with fickle, just being more of a conservative coach. So does he take the governor off of this offense? Let Gino Gadouli open it up a little bit so they can win some higher scoring games. That's yet to be seen. I, I think nine and a half is too rich for my blood. If I were to play it, I play under based on their schedule. Um, but let's get into some of these other challenges because as Stucky acutely you know, pointed out, 
these teams are neck and neck, and there's a lot to like in the top four. The second team here being Houston, their win total set at nine, minus 120 if you go with the under on the win total, two to one as well to win the AAC. SP plus, according to Bill Conley, 46th rated offense, 42nd rated defense. For me, I would be all in bye-bye-bye if Alden McCaskill did not get hurt. You know, the AAC rookie of the year, out for the year, he gave them an extra home run threat offensively. Not that they the cupboard's bare by any stretch. You know, clean tune back. Tank Dell was electric down the stretch, including a great bowl game against Auburn. Matthew Golden comes in, one of the highest rated recruits, you know, probably going back to the SWAC days for Houston. He's an early enrollee at wide receiver. There's tons of buzz about him. And then on the defensive side of the ball, million-dollar man, Doug Belk, at defensive coordinator, he's put together a unit that they're calling themselves Sack Avenue. Chidozi, Nuwankwo, Parrish, DeAnthony Jones, Nelton Caesar. I, I like any team that can generate pressure just with four or five guys rushing the passer. They can do that. But there is a really tricky opening slate. You know, they got to go to what could be a hornet's nest playing at UTSA, at the Alamo Dome. And then the very next week, talk about a team with positive momentum at Texas Tech. You know, that's going to be a, a wild game, an old SWAC rivalry renewed. After that, no Cincy, no UCF um, at SMU. But I don't know. I, I think I'm more interested to play them at plus, you know, at plus 200, plus 225, depending on the book, to win the AAC as opposed to the win total. I'll go first to you, Stucky, on this one. What are your thoughts on the Cougs here? And do you have any kind of concerns about this offense without that home run threat at running back? No, I mean, I, I really like this offense. If the offensive line, there are some questions there, but they're loaded at receiver. Dell, you mentioned Tune is back and extremely experienced. I don't think the running back is as big of a loss as you're making, but it, it is a loss. The defense, look, they are losing Hall is tough, but they are just low. They're so deep. That third ward defense, they can generate pressure. They go so deep on the defensive line. As you mentioned, Belk is a star. I love him. They did lose two corners to the NFL, but their backups when they were in last year, when they were moving guys around, they looked okay. So I don't think there's going to be as big of a drop-off as, say, we'll see in Cincy, but it's definitely something to monitor. I lean the over here with Houston. I wish we had a little bit more than plus 200 to take them, but the schedule is certainly extremely favorable as i mentioned they only play of those top four teams that we throw smu in there smu on the road is the only team they play they don't play any of the top three teams so yeah if they get by utsa in the opener which i think they do um and they get revenge against texas tech remember they blew that game in the second half last year uh there's a chance this team could go undefeated i do you agree are you that bullish on on houston I'm not as bullish uh, in those first two games, but I'm definitely bullish on them. I do agree with you. I, I, I don't love McCaskill getting hurt, but it's a running back. It, it puts a little more pressure on Clayton Toon, who I still get the willies with him a little bit, but getting Nathaniel Dell back is huge. I actually found this interesting bet on DraftKings. I probably wouldn't take the over because, you know, we are high on UTSA. Obviously, Texas Tech beat him last year, and I do kind of like what they're doing. DraftKings has a really interesting bet that you can get conference wins. They have over six and a half conference wins for Houston. The over is juiced to plus 160. So when you look at that schedule, as Stucky mentioned, they avoid UCF, they avoid Houston, they avoid, or they are Houston, they avoid Cincinnati. So even if they do fall at SMU, you basically have a loss, you know, two loss cushion in there, um, or one loss cushion in there. If they do slip up uh, in that AAC stretch, they ran the table in the AAC last year. So, you know, 
even if you, you know, Stucky, if you guys are confident, they're going to run the table. I'd rather get the plus 160 odds because they're certainly going to have to run the AAC to do that. Um, so I really like that number versus, I mean, eight and a half is at FanDuel is juiced to minus 165. Drafting says a nine uh, minus 120. So I do like that Houston over six and a half conference wins. I love that plus 160 juice on that. That That is a great number. I, I think that's one I'm definitely going to play in lieu of playing them at two to one because two to one to win the conference, you know, you can avoid all those teams in the regular season, but you're, you're definitely going to play an elite team in the championship game. So I agree with you. I think that's, that's great value. Turning to the third team here, Central Florida sitting at eight and a half for their win total over. You got to pay minus 130 to get that bet down seven to two to win the AAC SP plus projection on offense, 48, 32nd on defense. And that defense is really what I've circled here and why I'm interested. Could be special by AAC standards. Their entire secondary is back from a 4-2-5 setup. They're 35th against the pass last year. They could be even better. On offense, there's just some questions in terms of who's going to be the quarterback. Mikey Keene was efficient in uh, instead of you know Dylan Gabriel when he went down 64% completions, 17 TDs, only six picks. But where does that leave John Reese Plumley? Like, does he come in? Is he the better fit for this offense? They have an experienced backfield. You know, they probably have three backs who could all start depending on the situation. Ryan O'Keefe at wide receiver, three starters on the line. Do you go boomer bust and go with the Ole Miss transfer here? Or do you stick with Mikey Keene and pair it with a a quality defense and someone who's not going to turn the ball over that much? That's the question for Malzahn in this spot. And generally, you know, it's hard to get a feel for what he's going to do because he's gone in both directions over the course of his career. He's gone for the playmaker in Nick Marshall, you know, rode that all the way to national championship bid against Florida State. He's also gone with transfers like Jared Stidham, who are, you know, more pocket passers. I, I'll start with you, Stucky. Who do you think wins this quarterback battle and how much does that impact how you play Central Florida, not just preseason, but also during the season? Yeah, I really love this UCF team. I mean, uh, you mentioned their defense. I mean, in spite some measures they were a top 20 secondary last year return everybody the defensive line is super deep their one weakness was at linebacker they lose all the linebackers but they got super talented transfers at linebacker offensive line 130 starts like three starters two transfers that should start I like everything about this team year two of Gus it don't it just feels like Plumley fits a Gus Malzahn offense so much better right the dual threat and what Plumley can do now you know the, the quarterback position in question how's he going to fit how's Keen going to fare if it is him in year two it I think I would rather go maybe to win the conference over their win total with quarterback questions because it's kind of like higher ceiling more variance with UCF I just wish you were getting more than three to one now they do so I might just wait and play my spots maybe play them at home against Cincinnati really tough place to play and as we mentioned of those top three or four teams they play only two of them both of them are at home yeah, I mean, I really like this team. I, I'm been searching for a number three to one. It feels about right, but um, I think Plumley is the best fit here. I love this CCF team. They bring back Isaiah Bowser, who's had injury issues, but Johnny Richardson really came on when he got hurt last year. Leading receiver Ryan O'Keefe is back. Um, they did lose uh, Jalen Robinson to the portal late. I think he transferred in the spring, which did kind of suck. But they bring in Kobe Hudson, who was Auburn's leading receiver last year. They bring in tight end Kenmore Gamble, who was third on Florida. He led Florida in receiving touchdowns last year. These are leading receivers in the SEC. So, you know, Stucky mentioned the defense, how good it was last year. They bring in a ton of transfers there. They bring in, you know, two FCS All-Americans, Kobe Perry at safety and Jason Johnson at linebacker. 
So they kind of did help shore up some of those holes. They do lose Big Cat Bryant up front, but I think their secondary is good enough to kind of withstand that loss. They get Houston and Cincinnati at home. You throw out that that 2020 COVID season where you know fans weren't in attendance. They haven't lost the game at home since 2016. So I actually do like the over eight and a half. Um, I bet that a couple weeks ago when it was even money. It's it's juiced a little bit, but I would still probably take it. And then I do like them to win the conference because, like I said, I think they do. Um, this is one of those another spots where it is very very key to shop around because at FanDuel they are the favorite to win the conference at plus two ten. But at DraftKings, wow. they have the they have the third odds. They're plus three twenty at DraftKings. So that's a pretty big difference. And yeah, like I said, they're, if you're getting them the favorite at one book and the third best at the at another, um, so I would go ahead and dr- jump on them at DraftKings. Three twenty yeah, would hit. This team like for year one of Gus last year, a lot of bad injury luck. I mean, look that Gabriel got hurt, throwing a freshman to the fire. They had a lot of injuries across the roster. But then if you look how they finished, a lot of momentum coming in this year. I think they finished six and one, including a bowl win over Florida. So, yeah, and I love some of the transfers they brought in. Uh, I agree. I'm really high on this team as, as you are. I think we're all in agreement there. We'll turn to a team that potentially could be more divisive, and that's SMU. Sitting at seven wins, new head coach Rhett Lashley comes in minus 120. If you go with the over 12 to 1 to win the AAC, they're 17th in projected SP plus offensive efficiency, 62nd on the defensive side of the ball. But the defense, they weren't very good last year for starters. They only returned three from that unit. Could be even worse this season under Scott Simmons. And when you look at the schedule, kind of a little bit sneaky in the first month. That is leading me in the direction of under. I do like Mordecai. I like what they've been able to do offensively. But I think they're going to be in a lot of shootouts. And when I look at a game like at Maryland's, if that's the swing game for the season, I don't feel great about them getting any stops against Tagovailoa. So I'm going to go ahead with under as my play here. And I don't buy them as being a fringe you know, top, throwing in quotes, the top four for the AAC. I think this is a three-horse race at the top, so I don't see the Mustangs there. I'll start this time with Ino. What are your thoughts on SMU trying to replace some pieces and really rework a defense that let them down in big spots last year? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think it's a three-team race. I think there's a bigger gap there. But I'm not as down on them as you are. I actually lean over. I'm not playing it. I really like the hire of Rhett Lashley. So I actually lean to the over, but I'm not going to play it. I'm staying away. What do you think, Stucky? Yeah, really high variance team um, here. So I can see it going either way. I mean, the hope with Simons is that he's going to come in with a new scheme that generates a lot more pressure. I think they had like a three, 3.3% sack rate. Last year. They couldn't get any pressure, but the defense is certainly a concern. They lose, you know, a couple stud wide receivers and a tight end, but they reloaded in that aspect. The offense should be absolutely electric again. But they brought in 15 Power 5 transfers. They had, I think about 120 total starts via the transfer portal. So it's like, how are they all going to fit together? You also have a new defensive coordinator, new head coach is going to be calling play. So a lot of moving pieces here, that, and they're very transfer-reliant. So, yeah, I don't really love this schedule. Um, you know, you do get Cincy at home, but Cincy's coming off of a bye. You get TCU at home in the non-con, but they're coming off of a bye. So little things like that uh, make it a little sneaky tough. Um, they go to UCF. You know, they also host Houston and Memphis. So it's a pretty tough schedule. You know, they go to Maryland. This is a stay-away team from a betting perspective before the year. I think it's let's see how things shake out early in the non-con and then play them on a game-to-game basis. Um, so I'm, I'm staying away from SMU preseason. 
Let's take a look at a team, depending on the book, I'm sure Ionello can drop in. Either seven or seven and a half for Memphis's wins. Offense projected by SP plus 52nd, 67th on the defensive side of the ball. Listen, the playmakers are back in the backfield. You get Seth Hennigan off of a, a promising you know, season as a first-year starter. Clark, Brandon Thomas, they bring in Javon Ducker from NIU at running back. So that's a really deep running back room. But the headline here, no Calvin Austin III to spark those big plays. He did it. You know, taking short passes long, doing things on special teams. He's gone three new offensive line starters and only two back from a defense that was not all that good last year, particularly against the past 103rd in terms of passing yardage allowed last season. And they start at Mississippi State. So not a great time to be licking your wounds uh, in the secondary. The rest of the, the schedule, state, I think, the state shine with revenge, too, from a uh, ridiculous loss last year. I'm sure they're going to be out for blood just been a lot of overs with this team because given everything that they have back, if they can not necessarily with a single player, but if they can piece it together and try to replace some of the, the big plays from Calvin Austin, I think this could be, you know, a top 30 offense, but the defense could easily be in the one hundreds. I was shocked to see 67 attached to them in SP plus. I don't necessarily see that uh, Matt Barnes in a defensive coordinator. Maybe he works some kind of magic. But I, I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of who this Memphis team is. I think they're going to play some entertaining games throughout the season. They play Arkansas State at home. They get North Texas at home in the non-conference. There's going to be some high-scoring games. There's going to be some, some good feelings. But I do not see them even flirting with being a top-two team in the title game. Where are you on Memphis? This is like kind of a team who's been treading water since their Cotton Bowl berth against Penn State. And they've not clearly not been able to get back to those heights but it should be a program that at least from a recruiting standpoint they're geographically ideally located you know they've they've been working their way up and have established themselves really in the last you know five to ten years first under Fuente as a program to be respected where do you see them in maybe a, a transition year it could either go up or down they could go in a different direction at head coach yeah I think the numbers right right I mean I, I project them right around seven and a half. I think they're going to be in a lot of close games again. I think they went four and four in one possession games last year. And you can see a lot of these games like at ECU, at Tulane, home against Houston, home against UCF, like just going down. You could see all these games being one possession. I mean, I'm worried about the defense. They have new coordinators too. So, And the one thing I'll caution you about with the overs is they did start to play slower at the end of last year. Uh, but you have a new offensive coordinator, and I'm really worried about the defensive line. They also lose an all-conference uh, linebacker. And, and just the loss of Austin, I don't, is massive um, from a big play perspective. Uh, he was just in a walking explosive play. So, you know, they've been bowl eligible eight years, but eight straight years, but I think they're kind of trending a little bit down. But like I said, I project this spot on. And uh, so I, I have no interest in Memphis, Mike. You know, that that's the thing with Memphis. Boomer bust team, I think, you know, you look at their schedule, they lost to Temple by three. They lost to Tulsa by six. They lost to ECU by one in overtime. So, they had all those coin flip games last year and they went six and six. Saki just mentioned that eight straight bowl seasons, the longest streak in the G5. I do think they continue that. Quindle Johnson's back at safety. He had 105 tackles last year. Anytime your safety makes 105 tackles, it's not a great indicator of the rest of your defense in front of him. But I do like Seth Hennigan. I think they go bowling again. I think they're pushing that seven, eight wins. If they flip a couple of those one possession games, they can get to eight. I'll lean over, but I, I don't know that I'll play it. Yeah, they have a high floor because you have home games against Arc State, North Texas, Temple, North Alabama. There's probably like five free home wins on their schedule. So, yeah, but I think it's they're going to end probably 
seven or eight, and it comes down to a couple coin flip games that you might, after you see some things, just be able to bet during the year and not tie up your money all season on when it comes down to like their game at home against UCF or at Tulane in back-to-back weeks. The next team I'd like to discuss is kind of a, a good reminder that you need to emotionally divorce two things. How you feel about a team playing on a, a neutral field against any opponent and how you evaluate them in their power rankings. And on the other side, what does their schedule actually look like? East Carolina is set at six and a half. SP Plus doesn't particularly like them on either side of the ball, 75th on offense, 79th on defense. I think they're undervalued offensively. Listen, they won four or five down the stretch last year. Holden Aylers has started 37 games. I know he's a high-variance guy. When he's locked in, he can make plays to win. He can also turn the ball over and have accuracy issues and kind of throw you out of games. But he's not a one-man show. He's got Keaton Mitchell, one of the best freshman running backs in the country last year, three starters on the offensive line. It's a mystery right now with C.J. Johnson at wide receiver. He's suspended. How long is he suspended? He's still on the roster. He's practicing. And then also you look at all wide receivers they're bringing in. They bring in Isaiah Winstead uh, from Toledo, Jarrett Garner from Duke. They get a big Georgia transfer in Jalen Johnson. He'll be a starter at wideout. So I'm not concerned offensively. East Carolina, the back of the schedule is pure nightmare fuel. Starting on October 22nd, home against UCF, at BYU, at Cincinnati, home against Houston, all in a five-week span. That's enough for me to just it's a stay away because I really like this Pirate team. But six and a half, I, I struggle to see them getting there without, you know, at least upsetting one of those teams. And the fact that, you know, they gave BYU a good game last year, but they're at BYU this year. I just don't see it. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it on the Pirates. I know. What are your thoughts on a team that I, I'll at least speak for you on this one. I feel like we both want them to break through and to get some bigger wins. And we like Mike Houston as a head coach, but I don't know if it's setting up for a good year on the high seas for the Pirates. I want them to be good so badly. Holen Ehlers is like my little puppy who he's so cute. I love him so much, but he just will not stop peeing in the house. No matter how hard we try to get him to be a good dog, he just doesn't get better. You, you know, he was so promising as a sophomore, 29 touchdowns, 10 picks. All right. He comes back last year, 18 touchdowns, nine picks, uh, or 2020. Then last year, 18 touchdowns again, 10 picks. He just like, doesn't, we're still waiting for him to take that massive step forward and he just doesn't do it. The other thing that was frustrating about EC last year is you mentioned Mitchell and, and Raji Harris. These are two guys that Raji Harris was an all, all AAC in 2020. Uh, Mitchell was in 2021. Two all AAC running backs, yet they finished 63rd in the country in rushing. Why? Why? OC. Like, give, Offensive coordinator stinks. Yeah. Like, give these two studs the ball every game, every playing, you know, and then you have Ayler. It's like their offense. I, I agree with you, Breeze. I think they're undervalued but they should be even better than they are. And, and it's so frustrating to watch them because they have so many weapons and so much talent and they just do dumb things at like the worst possible time. The defense, you know, it does need to be better, especially against the pass. They lose uh, Jaquan McMillan, who's one of the best, you know, defenders in the conference. That's a huge loss for them. The one thing I do li- like uh, about their schedule is this is the first time they have seven home games since 2018 uh, so that is a nice break. You know, they have a great fan base down there. So I do expect, you know, Daddy Finkelin Stadium to be rocking. But I'm with you where I'm just I'm staying away because I just know if I invest in this team, I'm going to get frustrated. And like you mentioned, they are going to have to have six wins by Halloween to, to hit this win total. So I just I, I can't do it. What are your thoughts, Stucky? 
Yeah, they're a weird team. They they play. They're gonna play a lot. They played a lot of close games last year. And they're they, over the last couple of years with Aylers. Like they're gonna have. They're gonna pull off a big upset in the, one of those games. But then they're also gonna lose to someone the Navy that at they home. shouldn't. They're gonna lose. They're gonna lose yeah. Navy at home. And like I am worried about their secondary. McMillan by some. I think by PFF at him is the highest graded corner in all of college football last year. Big loss. I am worried about their secondary. But then I look at their schedule and I'm like. Which like they play here's the teams like NC State, ODU, Campbell, Navy, USF, Tulane, Memphis. I mean, say US, UCF has Plumley, BYU, since these receivers aren't great, Temple. Like, so like I'm not this is if you look at their schedule, it's like you're not gonna face a ton of prolific passing attacks. Um, but I am worried about their their defense overall. I don't like that. I think their offensive coordinator is just bad. Um, is what it comes down to when you look at some of the pieces. So yeah, I I project them right around six. And I think they'll probably end up finishing six and six, but it, I think it all comes down to the week one. I, I think there's a good chance they can upset NC state. And if they do, it's like all the momentum from that win, as long as they don't, you know, celebrate too hard, lose the old dominion the next week at home, but the momentum from that win could send this team to the moon, a loss, a bad loss. Like things could get ugly, but look, the, the these two teams hate each other. These two fan bases hate each other. Greenville and that Saturday, NC State with all this hype they're trying to deal with have to go on the road to open the season. They're 10, 10 and a half, whatever. So I'm playing easy plus 10 and a half week one. Uh, I'll tell you that. And um, I think that game really determines the path of the Pirates this year. And that one should be fun. Home team past 20 years or so has dominated that series. Far be it from NC State to have a huge letdown with huge expectations on their shoulders. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think that the fans are going to be lit up for that one. They're going to spend all all morning at Sup Dogs getting getting fueled up for the game. So, yeah, yeah we're, we're all pulling for ECU. I just don't see it based on their schedule. All right, I'm going to bundle together the next two teams, not because their names are pretty close and their projected wins, but we're going to talk Tulane and Tulsa as a two-pack here. So Tulane projected six wins, 50 to one to win the AAC, 41st on defense, 95th on defense, or sorry, 41st on offense, 95th on defense. I, I think you can make a claim that Hurricane Ida really threw a monkey wrench into this program last year. I understand that, you know, it, it threw them off for like a 10 day period and they end up going two and 10 on the whole season. But listen, th there was, there was hope when they almost upset Oklahoma and then everything fell apart, but what they did in the offseason is what I want to see from a program that under Willie Fritz has actually been, you know, a pretty, pretty solid program, someone that you can rely on to get to that, you know, six win threshold. He brought in six new coaches. He's not going to sit on his hands in the spot. He brings Michael Pratt back at quarterback, four starters on the offensive line. Ty J Spears is finally back healthy. He came back at the end of last year and blew up. The defense was awful to start the season, but then borderline good down the stretch. They allowed 354 total yards and 22 points per game in their last five. I love their linebacking core, Nick Anderson and Dorian Williams. The schedule at the beginning kind of sets up for some nice momentum with UMass and Alcorn. So I'm buying on the green wave in this spot. Turning my attention to the Golden Hurricane, five and a half wins for their win total, 25 to one to win the AAC, 80th on offense, 73rd on defense and S&P plus projection. They're still playing the 3-3-5, but Joe Gillespie is gone. He's off to TCU as defensive coordinator. That's what made this team special. That's what made them a difficult out every single game in conference play. Nine new starters on that defensive side of the ball. Green offensive line. No more Shamari Brooks. I think the way that I'm going to play this is I'm not going to have a preseason play on Tulsa. 
but I'm going to look for them to get a hot start because their schedule is so favorable early on. At Wyoming, the Pokes are a mess right now. Northern Illinois at home, if they can steal a win there and then beat Jacksonville State the following week, I think they'll be overly inflated in terms of public perception and looking back on how they've played the last three or four years. That's when I'm going to fade Tulsa. So I'll pitch it to both of you guys, Tulane and Tulsa as a two-pack. Are you buying both? Are you selling both? Or is it a mixed bag? Ianello, how about you first? I'm with you. I'm way higher on Tulane. Um, I really like their over. And then I also lean the Tulsa under. And for me, like you said, they are similar. It really comes down to, as you mentioned, is what both teams have done with the coordinator position with, you know, Tulsa losing their D.C., I actually really like the OC uh, Tulane brought in, uh, Jim Svoboda. Yeah, uh, I know Breeze, you love you love the uh, Division Two and FCS coaches coming up. He's been the head coach at Central Missouri for 12 years, so really experienced coach taking over. And like you mentioned, it with Willie Fritz, you know, they gassed every single offensive assistant except for the tight ends coach. So I love when you know that kind of accountability. The Oklahoma game, uh, Michael Pratt hurt his shoulder in that game and he was hurt pretty much the entire season. And I think it showed, and he was so good as a freshman. He led all freshmen in touch uh, touchdowns, 1800 yards, 20 touchdowns ran for eight in 2020 really lost that rushing ability last year. I think his injury was a big part of that. Um, and that when you look at these two teams, the quarterback's difference to me, I, I'm very, very high on, on Michael Pratt and Davis Brin stinks. He led the entire country and interceptions he he's the only Tulsa quarterback who attempted a pass last year so he's there all they have they have no depth behind him if he gets hurt they're screwed so other than Tulsa you know other than Juan Carlos Santana who's about the funnest one of the funner names in college football there's not a whole like about this Tulsa team that I like so I'm much higher on Tulane I was actually trying to find DraftKings has head-to-head win total bets I was really hoping they would give me Tulane over Tulsa. Uh, they did not. But if I could find that, I would definitely bet that one. Tulane has a lot of wide receiver depth. They bring back Tajay Spears. Um, I'm bringing, I'm, I'm going high on the green wave as well. Ride the wave. Yeah, I agree. Uh, these are my two bets so far in the AFC are Tulane over six plus 110 and Tulsa under six. You can still find a minus 120 out there. There's a lot of correlations. They play each other. The game is at Tulsa. But Tulane is coming off of a bye before that game. Revenge for last year. I had Tulane. They missed a 24-yard field goal to win the game and then lost in overtime. Infuriating. But if you look at Tulane last year, just horrendous luck. You mentioned Hurricane Ida. They'd have moved to Birmingham for a month. Also, the game against Oklahoma, which they almost won, was supposed to be in New Orleans. That got moved to Norman. got moved to a true road game. Also, here were the first eight FBS teams that they played. Oklahoma, Ole Miss, UAB, Houston, SMU, UCF, Cincy, and ECU. Just a, one of the hardest schedules I've ever seen for a group of five team to start the year. I think that caught up to them. Terrible turnover luck. Projected interceptions versus actual. 0-5 in one possession games. So many reg- positive regression signs for this team. There was also rumors that the offense hated Chip Long. Morale issues, locker room problems. So I love that they got rid of him. Brought in Svoboda who actually took over as the head coach of Central Missouri after Fritz left back in 2010. I think he's going to bring some West Coast principles to this spread option offense, get rid of the ball quicker, which I think is, was one issue that Pratt has. But then his offense always had a lot of explosiveness. So I'm, I think the offense is going to get a huge bump for him. And then if you look at the schedule, yes, they go to Houston and to Cincy, but those are probably losses anyway. So they're on the road. I, a fair assumption is they start three and one out of conference 
Uh, but at Kansas State is not not winnable. But let's say they're they're three and three in those six games. Their other six, four at home, two on the road. The two road games are at Tulsa, who we're low on, and at USF. And then you know the four home games. Uh, you know out of those six, I've been favored in four, and then the other two true coin flips. So getting over six at plus money, I love. I love a lot of things about this Tulane team. And then Tulsa, I, I agree with you guys. The loss, just like how much I love the offensive coordinator coming in for Tulane. The loss of the defensive coordinator, Gillespie, for Tulsa is massive. I think he's one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. So underrated. And then the defense just lost a ton. I mean, especially losing player. uh, That's just a massive loss. Him and Stevenson in the middle. That 3-3-5, those two defensive tackles up front did so much for that defense. Now you have inexperienced secondary. You lose two tackles to the NFL. A lot I don't like about this Tulsa team. And uh, I don't like their schedule. Um, if you look at some of the spots on their schedule, you know, like they, they play the two worst teams in the AAC, but they both come on the road. And they, they only have like one or two locks on the schedule. Even at Wyoming, the market, it's like a pick that game. Yeah, so I, I don't really look at the schedule like some of the nuances of it. So love the under on Tulsa. I think Tulane picks them off at Tulsa, and that will do wonders for both win totals. So I know there's some correlation there. But buying the green wave, fading the Golden Hurricane. Bundling those two together seemed to bring out some spicy takes from you two guys. I, I believe the three of us are all in agreement in terms of playing the over on Tulane and the under on Tulsa. Let's see if we can do the same with this two pack. Both sitting at four and a half wins as their win total, 50 to one for South Florida win the AAC, 100 to one for Navy. We'll start with USF, 68th in projected SP plus offense, 106 defense. This is make or break time for Jeff Scott. The former Clemson OC is three and 18 in two years, but this offense could pop, at least, you know, by recent standards in 2022. If Timmy McLean ends up, you know, taking a stranglehold of this job and gets a little more accurate, he could be a very fun dual threat. They have nine starters back on offense. They bring in two P5 wide receiver transfers in Brown from North Carolina and Ujo from Clemson. And their defense, the 4-2-5 look, the entire back seven returns with a new defensive coordinator, Bob Shoup, a former Broyles Award finalist. He has to create more havoc. They were 125th in tackles for loss last year. They can't get away with that. The schedule's not doing him any favors. BYU at Florida at Louisville, but four and a half. I'm I'm bullish on the Bulls. I'm going to go over USF four and a half. Navy, same number, 100 to one to win the AAC, 122nd on the offensive side of the ball, 89th defensively. Ken Niamatololo, listen. The guy has been a legend in Annapolis. 2015 to 2019, they go 41 and 25. They've been digging out of that ever since, 7 and 15 across the last two seasons. They get the the boost emotionally from beating Army in that awesome finale. Two seniors, two juniors return on the offensive line. Diego Fago is gone, which is sad, you know, in terms of everything he meant to the program on that side of the ball. But they do bring back six defenders. John Nichols is an awesome kicker. He's a, a nice plus in some close games. And the season can get started in a positive way with Delaware and Memphis at home back to back. That Memphis game, I think they'll be an underdog in, but I wouldn't be shocked if they could run right through around by a Tigers defense that struggles. But they do draw at Air Force, at UCF, at SMU, Cincy at home, at Houston, Notre Dame. Just the hits just keep on coming. So because of that, it's a stay away for me at four and a half just because of so many challenging road games against quality opponents. But I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was at midseason last year when it looked like it could be the ends of you know, the era there in Annapolis. So what are your thoughts on these two teams, South Florida and Navy? I'll start with you, Stucky. 
South Florida, look, one of the most experienced teams in the country. I think they crushed the portal. They're just hard to find wins. Like, what are they? They were 0-3 in one-possession games last year, and, like, this is the year, like you said, for Jeff Scott. What do they have? One free win on their – I mean, they got to go to Temple. One free win is Howard at home on their schedule. The one thing that I'll, I'll mention is that week one game against BYU. I think I'm, people are like, oh, this line looks so low. Humidity. Humidity on when, all, September 1st in Tampa against a team not used to it. It could be a massive, massive edge for South Florida. I think the last time BYU went to USF was three years ago, and it was – what's his name? Jaron Hall's first start. Um, actually, in college football, and USF pulled off the upset. It was like 95% humidity that day, and they had a big comeback. The two huge touchdown drives at the end of the game when BYU worn down. So just throwing it out there, I, I don't know. I think the number is about right, USF. And then with Navy, I hate playing service academy win totals because they they play each other, and then, like, they understand the scheme so well, and, you know, those games a lot of times can go either way. Who's running the ball for Navy, by the way? They're leading returning rushers, the receiver. And you can't really look at returning production on their offensive lines for service academies. They always just reload and doesn't really matter. But the running – look, this this team has just gone like this. It's just on a downward trajectory ever since um, they lost Malcolm Perry, who recently retired. What a legend. I have a lot of questions about Navy. They only have five home games. And also something that I will mention, I don't have a play on either of these two teams. It's just hard to find enough wins on their schedules. Cut block rule for service academy teams this year. Um, how much does that impact their offenses? It's TBD. How much is it going to be enforced? We don't know. Is it just going to be like, hey, we're going to throw the flag on this a couple times early in the season and then forget about it? Or it's like constant. And then it's – here's the thing. Like you can't get behind the sticks if you're – your, your drive is over. So if you're throwing two of these flags on the new cut, cut block rule a game – and you're ruining two drives, it's massive. But we don't know how much. But that's that's something that could really hinder um, Navy this year with uh, a, a, all brand-new running backs. This South Florida number makes me so, so, so angry because I love this team. And that number is ridiculous. Like Stock said, where are five wins on this schedule? You know, we mentioned it with, with Tulane and stuff. Is Yeah, you, you actually want to get Cincinnati and Houston on the road. You don't want to waste home games on games you're not going to win. And while they do get those on the road, other than Howard, their other two most winnable games are at Temple and at Tulsa. So the fact that they have to go on their road to both of them, you know, their home games, UCF, SMU, like those are still tough games. Tulane, East Carolina, can they maybe pull off one of those? Sure, but then at Florida, at Louisville, you know, if they can maybe flip BYU, but I don't, you know, they're not getting a five. How many games are they going to be favored in one, maybe two, maybe they get, you know, maybe they're, they're probably favored at temple, you know, at Tulsa is probably close. So you're going to be favoring two games at the most. So to have to pull off three to four upsets, is just too much to ask, but from a week to week standpoint, you know, they bring back their quarterback who probably won't even win the job because Jerry, Jerry Bohannon transferred him from Baylor. So they have literally the big 12's winning quarterback there. They bring back the running backs. They bring back their receivers. They bring back all five offensive linemen, a Joe, a Joe transfers in from Clemson. They return Brian Batty, their, you know, stud kick returner who I do hope they get him the ball more on offense than they did last, last year. Um, they finished 123rd in defense last year, which is obviously an issue, but they bring back their entire secondary. They bring back all their linebackers. 
you mentioned new they have new OC Bob Shoup, who's you know former DC for Vanderbilt, Penn State, Tennessee, Mississippi State. He's been an SEC Big Ten defensive coordinator. And Stock mentioned that their biggest issue was they didn't get pressure and, and tackles for loss. Well, I read this quote from Bob Shoup, but I was ready to run through a wall. He said it's going to be a full court press for 60 minutes from the first snap to the last snap of the game. Fire me up, baby. I love the Bulls. I'm all in on this team, but I just can't find five wins. I'm like desperately trying to find them. When I was doing all my research, I was like locked and loaded to take their over. And I pulled up the books expecting, you know, to get a three, three and a half. And I get four and a half. And I just cannot, cannot, cannot find this number no matter how hard I try. So I am high on the Bulls. I think they're, again, one of those teams that they're going to be significantly better in a power rating standpoint, but it probably won't reflect in their win total as much as we'd hope. Speaking of trying to fire up a fan base of players with some, you know, bulletin board, raw, raw material, Temple is going to need a lot of that. We're rounding out the 11-team AAC. We'll make this quick. Two and a half for their win total. Uh, juice minus 140 to the over. And when you go through their schedule, you get it. You know, they, they open at Duke, home against Lafayette, home against Rutgers, home against UMass. So they should be in those games, hypothetically. Although offensively, SP Plus has them 125th on offense, 100 on defense. Sean Drayton as a new head coach. The cupboard isn't completely bare, although I don't like Dewan Mathis. He looked totally overwhelmed last season. They got drilled in seven straight losses to end the year. Darvon Hubbard, maybe the only one to keep an eye on in terms of production. He comes in, uh, he had originally signed with Texas A&M. He could be a big bodied physical runner for them. But this team, I'm in full wait and see mode. I'm not going to play them on the over here, certainly. And then, you know, if it was a feisty FCS team and not Lafayette, who's kind of a middling Patriot League team, I'd probably take a flyer on a money line and upset there. But this schedule, I think, could produce some fool's gold in the, the month of September. And then when they get into AAC play in October, get them just go back to the well and start picking against the Owls here. Anything that I'm missing on this? Is there any reason schematically or personnel or schedule that would lead you in either direction on the win total, Stucky? I mean, they, probably, they probably should start two and two with wins over Lafayette and UMass at home. Um but then where's, where's the third win come from? I mean, yeah, USF at home maybe, but they're going to – so you're probably just waiting all year to try and rooting for that. Maybe ECU at the end of the year. I, I, just stay away from me. I think the numbers – but they needed the coaching change. Carrie needed to go. But they're learning another new defense. It's the sixth head coach in seven years. The, the roster is void of talent. They lost their last seven games by 35 points on average. Um, at the schedule, look, there's there's – there's three potential wins here that you could see easily, um, but it's, that's about it. Uh, so I think they're either going to win two or three games. So I think the number is priced about right. No thanks on Temple. Yeah, this is another team where the schedule, you know, the opposite of South Florida. The schedule does them favors where they, you know, they probably have the skill level that they should be a winless team, but they get, like, like Stuck said, Lafayette, they get UMass. You know, UMass is probably the worst you know, team in the country. They also get, you know, not that I think they're going to win them, but Duke and Rutgers are probably the two, two of the three worst power five teams in the country. <clears throat> they do get South Florida. They do get Navy, the two other worst teams in this conference, but they're just going to be really bad again. Um, I'm with you, Reese. I do not believe in Mathis whatsoever. You look at their coordinator changes. They made, you know, they bring in the new head coach who was Texas running back coach last year. 
you know, okay, I, I don't really know much about him, to be honest. But their new offensive coordinator, Danny Langsdorf, was the Colorado passing game coordinator last year. Uh, Colorado was 127th in the country in passing success. They bring in new defensive coordinator, DJ Elliott. He was the DC for Kansas. Kansas was 129th in the defensive success rate. So they essentially hired the two people in the country who were worse at the jobs than the ones they replaced. So it's not like either one of those are even inspiring a little bit of confidence. So Temple's going to be horrible, but they, their schedule isn't that do or die. We'll end with some positivity here with the lightning rounds, our favorite win total and our pick to win the AAC. I'm going to go ahead with the Tulane green wave. I think they get it all back together this year. Michael Pratt's healthy, new offensive system, new play caller, Ty J Spears. If he is the player that he was when he came back for that one game last year, this offense is going to be exciting. I know the schedule has, you know, some thorny spots, but I'm going to go over six and then Houston two to one to win the AAC. I think it's their time. This will be the coronation for Doug Bell. He'll carry him off the field, buddy Ryan style, and then he'll get a head coaching job of his own. How about you, Stucky? What are you, what's your favorite win total and uh, play to win the AAC in 2022? Yeah. Tulane over Tulsa under uh, both at six to get the six. I'd pay for the sixes that are out there. Always shop. Find the best number. But, yeah, I think the offensive coordinator coming in, positive regression for Tulane. The loss of the defensive coordinator for Tulsa, just massive. Um, and uh, there's a lot not to like about Tulsa's defense and then you know, losing two tackles in the offensive line. I'll say UCF ends up winning, plus 320 you can find out there. If you want to get crazy, throw some couch change on Tulane to win the conference. Yeah, I'm double dipping with the Knights. My favorite win total is the UCF over eight and a half. And I'm, I like the, the UCF plus 320 to win the conference. Although I do really like that Houston over six and a half conference wins with the plus 160 juice. I think that's a much better bet than taking their over. For Mike Ionello and Stucky, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Big Bets on Campus podcast, the Group of Five Deep Dive. The Action Network's been churning out all kinds of college football preseason content, both written and audio, so make sure to check all of that out. We're going to be back next, rounding out the G5 preview series with the Max. Stucky will be back for that as well. So please keep an eye on everything that we're working on here to help you get off to a hot start in September. Thanks so much for listening.